if something seems off, if something seems like, you know, this just isn't me. This isn't the way that I think about things. This isn't the way that I would operate if I was making the decisions here. You got to take that seriously too. Yeah. You have a brain in your head for a reason. And that reason is that it's meant to be used. It's meant to work for you, not against you. It's not meant to be rented out to anyone or anything. I already had a terrible self-esteem issue. It was horrible before I became a Christian, but after I became a Christian, it was 10 times they don't care what you want to be. They don't care what your perception of yourself is. They care that you are towing the line, that you are doing what they want you to do, the way they want it done, and that's that. Honestly, I am still trying to get back to whatever I'm supposed to be. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers and free thinkers there is life after faith and life here is good it's time for a new perspective and a better conversation i'm spider and i'm shell and it's time to get unbound as a nation we are sitting here on eggshells just waiting to figure out who the next president is going to be it's uh it's bush jr and gore all over again yeah. And I can see a lot of the same craziness starting to emerge out of this. But the bottom line is it's nowhere near as close a race. And mm. I am trying not to let myself worry about this. Yeah. But it's been so much on my mind that I didn't even really think about what I wanted to do for this week's episode until really, really recently. Yeah. And the verse that I keep going back to over and over and over again about how we're supposed to decrease so Christ can increase in us. Um, that's John 3.30, and I have mentioned this verse so many times on this show. I thought that it would be appropriate to try and build an episode around it and what the dangers are of that kind of thinking, and also a tie-in to some of the earlier stuff that we've talked about, mm-hmm. like finding your way out, facing the fear, understanding the tactics that they use to collect you and keep you. Tonight, what I want to talk about primarily is the concept of reclaiming your identity because evangelical Christianity does a wonderful job of robbing us of our identity. Mm. And most of us go for years not understanding who we are or worse, hating who we are because of some of the things that we think, some of the attitudes that we have, the way that we can't wrap our brains around certain things being sinful. Well, it can do a number on you. And I don't think that I need to tell anyone who is in this and trying to get out just how much of a number it can do on you. So if you're in that category, if you're one of the fence sitters that listens to this show and is waiting for the episode that's going to give you the reason to get out, hopefully tonight's going to be it. Because this is something that we really need to start focusing on if we're doubting what we believe, because understanding that you are your own person and that you need to learn how to be your own person goes so counter to evangelical doctrine that if this is something that has been on your mind, then you are closer to getting out than you think you are. You're much closer to getting out than you really believe you are right now. And through the course of this episode, hopefully we're going to give you enough to think about that you start taking seriously what your role is in your own life. Because you're not supposed to think about that. You're supposed to be Mm. decreasing while Christ increases. 
And there are a plethora of other toxic concepts that relate to this. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And let's just get right into the meat of our topic for tonight. Evangelical religion is built and predicated upon the concept of conformity. It's based on notions like dying to yourself and letting your individuality blend into the background while Christ lives through you. That's the message in Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. We're taught that our bodies don't belong to us. That comes from 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And our minds don't belong to us. Romans 12, 2 makes that clear. We're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind in Christ Jesus like there's something wrong with the one we have right now. Mm. Just so that we are all on the same age, if you are a born-again evangelical Christian, you belong to Jesus now. You are his property. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says that you were bought with a price. Okay, what kind of people are bought with a price? Hmm. What kind of people are bought with a price? Think about it for just a second or two. Your own religion wants you to think of yourself as a slave, and it's not the only place in Scripture where this is talked about. Paul considered himself a bond slave to Christ and thought that that was okay. So you're a slave to your religion, and a slave to the God behind it. Doesn't that sound lovely? Mm. Slaves don't get to explore their individuality. They exist solely to serve the master. That's it. In short, you as an individual don't really matter in this religion beyond being controlled. Surrendering your sense of self is necessary just to swallow the insanity that they throw at you. Right. Now, let's talk for a second about just the concept of being born again. This really is the first step towards stripping the believer of their sense of self. The basic message of being born again is simple. Everything about you has to change. Everything. You need to literally start over. You need to go through your own personal flood and drown the parts of you that a sinless God cannot accept in his presence. In this instance, that deluge comes in two forms. The blood of the lamb and full immersion baptism. Right. This is why so many evangelical denominations teach that baptism is necessary. In deciding to be baptized, you acknowledge going under as a purgation of sin. What emerges is a quote-unquote clean soul that is no longer subject to the wages of sin. And boy, does that lead to some stinking thinking. Ah, uh, yeah. This total change and all things made new, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, approach to the individual, however is completely lost when you look at evangelical Christianity as a whole. I found an article that was reprinted from Christianity Today. Um, goes all the way back to 2005. And I found some real interesting stuff in here. Nothing that I didn't know, right. but it's nice to know that other people observe these things, that they understand them. And if you are on the fence about this religion, these are things that you need to understand. The whole concept of stripping you of individuality is pointless. And we're going to take a look at how right now. The findings in numerous national polls, this is from the article, direct quote, the findings in numerous national polls conducted by highly respected pollsters like the Gallup Organization and the Barna Group are simply shocking. And they quote evangelical theologian Michael Horton here saying Gallup and Barna hand a survey after survey demonstrating that evangelical Christians are as likely to embrace lifestyles every bit as hedonistic, materialistic, self-centered, and sexually immoral 
as the world in general. Think about that. You're no less likely to succumb to sin because mm. you pray a sinner's prayer than you are if you don't. Divorce is more common among born-again Christians than in the general American population. Only 6% of evangelicals tithe, according to this article. Well, you know what? I've read data that puts that number much lower, like in yeah. the 2% category. So that 6% number is, in my opinion, and based on what I've already researched on this, to be very high. It's incredibly generous. White evangelicals are also most likely to object to having neighbors of another race. And we went into this part of the equation quite a bit last week. So yeah. if you didn't hear last week's episode, turn there after this for an explanation of that particular statement. It's very, very true. Sexual promiscuity of evangelical youth is only a little lower than it is for their non-evangelical peers, according to Josh McDowell. But he'll still take the royalties for True Love Waits and pass the plate at those True Love Waits rallies. Mm. Uh, he's not above that. Oh, yeah. Alan Wolfe, famous contemporary scholar and doctor of the Boise Center for Religion and American Public Life, had this to say. Today's evangelicalism exhibits so strong a desire to copy the culture of hotel chains and popular music that it loses what religious distinctiveness it once had. The truth is, there's increasingly little difference between an essentially secular activity like the popular entertainment industry and the bring them in at any cost efforts of evangelical megachurches. And this is so true. Oh, yeah. Someone close to me, I will not say who, actually admitted this to my face at one point. We had just made the switch over to the Episcopal Church. Right. And this person said to me, I could never do liturgical church again. Well, why? Because I just don't find it entertaining. Uh, but yeah. you don't go to church to be entertained, right? Right. Right? Right. Yeah. Um, not so much. It's a huge part of why these churches are successful is because yes. they put on a good show. They do. There are so many ways that evangelical Christianity attempts to carbon copy popular culture. One really has to wonder how committed they really are to the concept of coming out from among them and being separate, according to 2 Corinthians 6.17. I've said it before. Listen to What About Love by Heart and Never For Nothing by Margaret Becker and tell me these songs don't share common artistic DNA. Ditto with Seen and Not Heard by Petra and Heaven's on Fire by Kiss. There are so many examples. Those are the two that come quickest to mind for me, but there's lots more. Oh, yeah. And with all this copying going on, where does the concept of individuality come from? The notion of coming out from among them is billed as the ultimate expression of individuality, and yet the protocols involved have nothing to do with cultivating any sense of self or individualism. You're an individual to the extent that you listen to Margaret Becker and not Hart, but you're pressured to conform to how all the other individuals who share your beliefs act and behave. If you want to be one of his, you got to act like one of us. Steve Taylor, again, mm -hmm. and spoiler alert, he's going to show up again later too. As we just demonstrated, it flat out doesn't work because, here comes one of my standard mantras, people are going to do what they want and no religion is going to stop them. George Barna of the Barna Group had this to say, every day the church is becoming more like the world it allegedly seeks to change. They don't want to change the world. They, no. want, they want to blend in. They want to camouflage themselves and get their messaging in there. A lot of Christian music has made it into secular radio. And even oh, yeah. though a lot of it doesn't have profound evangelical messaging, once you're interested in the band, 
you're going to check out their other stuff. Mm-hmm. So when you hear bands like Skillet and Sixpence None the Richer and Jars of Clay and Michael W. Smith on the radio, there's a reason for that. Yeah. They're not trying to come out and be separate. They are trying to infiltrate. And they're trying to get their messaging in under the radar just like evangelicals do with everything else. Right. Tell me something. Whatever happened to being in the world and not of it, according to John 17? That's what I want to know. Because there's a lot of, quote unquote, worldliness mm-hmm. in the world of Christianity, particularly in the world of Christian music. Yeah. I mean, with all due respect, all you need to do is listen to a couple of weeks of god-awful movies and you get the point that they don't have the resources to be able to copy that. Music, a little bit easier. Yeah. And they've been focusing on that literally for decades and, yeah, definitely decades. Now, these avenues of crosstalk where they say that they want to be separate but then try to be like everything out there that's popular. Right. These avenues are significant. But they're also just the beginning. I'll also state that the fact that most evangelicals don't follow their own tenets and even come up with carbon copies of the greater worldly culture that's out there is actually encouraging because it means that people still think self-expression is important. Their personal likes still matter. They like popular music. Okay, here's what about love with a heaping helping of indoctrination. Does that satisfy your need for a fix? Yeah, no, not really. Heart still does it better. One thing that I can remember really, really vividly from my teen years was attending a Sweet 16 party for one of the girls in the youth group. Well, she was a big Tom Cruise fan, which (laughs) you would think that daddy would be discouraging because, you know, she's not thinking about, you know, playing cribbage with Tom Cruise. She's thinking about playing other games with Tom Cruise. But her favorite movie was Top Gun. Hmm. Well, this guy was so paranoid about the content in this movie that he literally recorded this movie off HBO and then took two VCRs and proceeded to very roughly edit (laughs) any content in this movie that he felt to be objectionable right down to making sure that we didn't hear bad words like damn, hell, or ass. And it was so jarring. It was so jarring watching this. And back before you could just transfer something like that to digital and work it out in iMovie, um, I don't know if you've ever seen a rough cut edit of a VHS anything. (laughs) But VHS was far from a perfect medium for anything. And whenever you stop the tape, whenever you make edits, whenever you hit pause... It has a drastic effect on the picture and the sound. So this thing was practically unwatchable. But this guy, if I didn't know any better, I, I, I would swear that he was behind Pure Flix. Oh, I know. Because huh. this is what they do. Yeah. They just do it a little bit better because they have better tech. Yeah. But I can remember sitting there and watching Top Gun and having it be over in like an hour and 10 minutes. <laughs> because really all he did was leave Anything significant, you know, all the action sequences were there. Yeah. But the love scene was gone. Of course. He was even careful about how much of the interaction between the two leads he left in there because he was afraid it would be too titillating. Oh, boy. For all the teenagers in the room. But he was bound and determined to let his little girl watch this movie with her friends on her 16th birthday. So there we sat 
watching this, pardon the term, guys, but god-awful rendering <laughs> of Top Gun. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know, how weak, how weak does someone have to be in their faith to be either offended or overly titillated by watching people kiss? Yeah. Because that was completely gone. Well, they weren't just kissing. Well, no, they weren't. But the scene was done tastefully. It wasn't something that you would find on Pornhub. So, I mean, it made the point that this was where their relationship was going. And, yeah, they kind of lingered on it a little bit because, I'm sorry, there's money in sex. Yeah. And you hear Berlin singing Take My Breath Away while this is all going on. And, I mean, I think we literally heard, like, three notes of this before it cut to the very next scene. Yeah. You know, how weak is your faith if you can't handle this? Mm-hmm. The entire thing was, you know, I'm sorry, but it was a truth serum. It really was a truth serum. We really got inside this guy's head and understood what his insecurities were yeah. watching this movie. And even as a young teenager, I butted heads with this guy a couple of times huh. on certain issues. I really did. And even as a teenager, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking just that. It's like, why is he so afraid of sex? Why is he so afraid of a word like hell? Because I'm sorry, I hear way worse on the school bus on my way to school every day. Right. And sometimes I saw worse on the school (laughs) bus. Sometimes I saw worse in the hallways between classes. I mean, we're talking about couples that they're saying goodbye like this kid is going off to war when he's just going off to social studies. Yeah. I mean, we saw a lot. So I'm sorry, watching uh, Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis kiss was small potatoes compared to what we were seeing between 745 and 2. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. let's let's just put it out there. But there's another problem here that I think kind of was the catalyst for this. You know, the whole self-perception thing. This guy didn't want to be perceived as peddling smut. So what mm-hmm. he did was he cut out everything that he considered smut from this movie. And now, having gone through what I've been through, I understand it a little bit better. It was still stupid, but I understand it a little bit better because (laughs) as evangelicals, we are always being watched. Yeah. Someone is always keeping tabs on what we're doing. It's not paranoia. I have the cards telling me that I was missed this week in Sunday school to prove it. Mm -hmm. We're always being watched. We're watched by our peers. We're watched by our pastors. Our words are under constant scrutiny, especially if you position yourself as a leader and especially if you dare to give talks during youth group meetings once in a while. Your words are under a lot of scrutiny. And when you screw up in front of people based on something that you've said from the pulpit or standing in front of that youth group, they tell you. Yeah. People listen to what they think is important or more to the point, they listen if there's something about you that they don't like and they want to call you out. That's another major, major thing that most evangelicals will do. They'll close their mind off to anything that doesn't jibe with their way of thinking about things. But if they want to nab you on something, oh, they're going to listen to every fucking word of that sermon that you just preached. And they're going to buy the tape. And they're going to call you out if they see you saying, doing, or acting in any way, shape, or form contrary to the messaging in that tape. It happens. It happened to me. And it happened to me more than once. And I learned early on that the easiest and most effective way to deal with a situation like that is to simply disarm them with honesty. Yeah. And I would be accused of something 
And I would look them square in the eye and say, yep, you're right. Everything you said is true. What would you like me to do about it? Would you yeah. like me to apologize? I'm sorry. Because I truly didn't want to offend you. I didn't want to offend anyone. But this thing happened. I'm a human being. I screw up. And so do you. I don't recall the last time I called you out on anything. But I'm pretty sure that if I dig back into the archives, I could find a few things. Would you like me to? <laughs> okay. Well, then don't do that to me. Right. We are We're fallible people. The things that we do that are less than perfect are supposed to be covered under the blood. So I'm sorry, who are you again? Mm. You know, that was the way that I would deal with it most of the time. Half penitent and half assertive. Right. Where I would just make it clear that we've all done things that we shouldn't do, that go contrary to what we believe. We've said things, we've done things, and we've done these things in front of people. And... I think the last thing that anyone wants is to be called out and embarrassed for it. Oh, yeah. But it happens. And when it happens to you, or let me make it about me. When it happened to me, I felt like I had a couple of options. I could fight back and validate what they were thinking and what they were saying. I could completely cow to them. And, oh, I'm sorry, I really didn't want to offend you and all of this stuff. But my way provided balance. It's like, right. look, I acknowledge that I did this. Now, can you acknowledge that you've done things that didn't paint you in a very good light? Can you acknowledge that you've made mistakes, that you've said and done things that you wish you hadn't? And would you like me to start looking at you under the same microscope? Mm. Because I could. And, you know, a lot of times that was all it took oh, yeah. to defuse it. And when I apologized, my apology was sincere because I didn't want to offend people. That was not my style. But at the same time, I also understood that there wasn't a single word that came out of my mouth that wasn't going to be misconstrued by someone who right. heard it. It's just, what do you do with that? Well, what a mature thinking person does is they weigh that one moment against what they know about that person in general. But when you're looking for demons under rocks, you throw all of that away. And you focus on this one thing that happened, especially if it sort of kind of involved you or if you read into it and decided that the person was talking about you in a talk or in a sermon or something like that. All of a sudden it becomes personal and you feel the need to confront. Right. So this happens all the time. We are always being watched. We're not always called out, right. but we're always being watched. Our behaviors on all levels from how we behaved on youth group trips to how we behaved with our girlfriends and boyfriends. All of this was being judged all the time, usually silently, but sometimes very, very vocally. Yeah, this was really hard for me as a teenager being in uh, the youth group is that I wasn't used to being judged and I already had a terrible self-esteem issue. It was horrible before I became a Christian, but after I became a Christian, it was 10 times worse. I smushed myself down so hard that, honestly, I am still trying to get back to whatever I'm supposed to be or whatever I could have been or... The could have been thing is, is dangerous, though. Yes, you it is, and it's really back. hard. You got to look no. forward. Yes. And we're never going to be everything no. that we want to be. But you know what? There's power in knowing what you want to be. Right. 
And there's power in knowing that you have the choice to at least try to be that. Right. And that is something that this religion takes away from you. Yes. They don't care what you want to be. They don't care what your perception of yourself is. They care that you are towing the line, Mm -hmm. that you are doing what they want you to do the way they want it done. And that's that. Yeah. A lot of times you think you're making decisions for yourself, but it's because you've been influenced so hard by these people saying, you know, the best thing you can possibly do with your life is go into full-time ministry. If you get that enough, you say, well, I guess I should probably do this. Well, yeah, because you've got people in your life who posture themselves as authorities. Right. And they're older than you. And I'm sorry, it meant something back then. It doesn't mean as much now. No. But back then, it meant something when someone, quote unquote, older and wiser said things like that to you. And not even just in evangelical contexts, in life contexts, we put a lot more stock and what the adults in our life thought about us right? and the advice that they gave us. I mean, when it was a teacher who was criticizing our performance in class, we would have a moment of anger. We would have a moment of how dare she, but we would still take it to heart. Of course. We still put value in those words and in the messaging that they were trying to get across to us because they were older. They were the ones in charge. They were the ones looking at the grade book and... They knew whether or not, based on what they saw of us in class, whether or not we were working up to our potential. And if we weren't, good teachers made sure that we knew. Mm -hmm. And it was a blow to the ego. But if you were smart, that was when you started taking a closer look at how you were doing in that class and made the necessary changes. And it was the same thing in church settings. If my youth pastor told me that something seemed a bit off. And it did happen a couple of times. I was brought into his office to uh, to discuss various things over the course of the few years that I was really active in the youth group. And yeah, it was a blow to the ego, but I always kept it in the back of my mind. We're the only two people in this room. Yeah. So this isn't going any further. This isn't going beyond this conversation. So let's think about it from the standpoint of motivation here. What is this person's motivation for saying these things to me? Well, he wants to see me at my best. He wants to see me do my best. Just like the teacher who pulls you aside because you're failing this quarter and you need to do something to get that grade up and you're capable of having a better grade than this. Well, it's the same thing. We're in this room and it's just the two of us. And this is somebody that I trust telling me that these are changes that need to be made and As far as I was concerned, it became a priority at that point to make those changes Mm -hmm. because I wanted to, I wanted people in general to have a better picture of me than what he was telling me they had. So, and that's, that's another point. A lot of times they don't come to you. A lot of times they go and cry to someone who they think is an authority, like your pastor who in turn turns around and talks to you. Mm. Uh, That happened more than once, but you know, I'm looking back, there was validity there was validity to a lot of it. So I'm, t- I'm going to take the advice of uh, Liam Gallagher here and, don't, and not look back in anger. <laughs> it's been my policy with most of this. Yeah. But in those instances, you know, you, you, have, you have the choice to either take what's being said to you seriously or not. And it's the same thing when these thoughts enter your own head. Yeah. If something seems off, 
if something seems like, you know, this just isn't me. This isn't the way that I think about things. This isn't the way that I would operate if I was making the decisions here. You got to take that seriously too. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, especially as adults, because as kids, you know, maybe you have a sense of autonomy when you're 13 or 14. Most still don't. No. But as an adult who's had a few years to think about things, you start understanding that what comes out of your own head matters too. Right. But all of these things come right back down to the concept of conformity. And that's why we learn to push those thoughts aside. Right. That's why we learn not to trust ourselves, not to listen to ourselves. It's all about what these people think and what they're going to think of us. That becomes the priority. And that's where the toxic thinking starts to take hold. When you don't trust yourself anymore, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. What kind of sick, twisted bullshit is that? Yeah. And then, of course, we come right back to good old Steve Taylor. If you want to be one of his, you got to act like one of us. Right. So, and that's non-negotiable because, like I said, you're being watched. Yeah. And if you're being watched, then you better be towing the line. If you want to be one of his, you got to act like one of us. We change our words, our actions, our behaviors, all of it to ensure the continued acceptance of those in our peer groups. This is a people thing, not an evangelical thing. But in secular circles, A, a lot of these things don't really matter, like who you're sleeping with. I mean, most people don't really care. Right. I'm, I mean, beyond beyond the titillating aspect of knowing what you're doing. Yeah. And in some instances living vicariously through you. But most people don't care about stuff like that. And B, if people don't like the way you're living, a lot of times they're just going to back off and let you live your life. A lack of friends, social life, that sort of thing might get some people to rethink a few things. But in general, people are going to be who they are regardless of any social consequence. This isn't always a bad thing. Lack of social acceptance isn't always a sign of sociopathy. Some people are just out there on the fringes and that's it. And that's okay too. But the rest of the world is not going to approach what they consider to be defects in your character the way that people in your church will. They won't be anywhere near as aggressive about it. In evangelical circles, you get assaulted with judgmental, legalistic, and dogmatic responses to your behavior. Conformity is critical in most Christian circles. If I can't drink on the weekends, neither can you. If I can't have sex with my girlfriend, you can't have sex with yours. If I can't see an R-rated movie, don't let me catch you buying your ticket. And it just snowballs from there. Now, I've said before, acceptance was always a key element that kept me in. Acceptance through like my very first week at Word of Life, the one thing that I noticed about the people there was that they accepted me at face value and the rest of the world just didn't. So that was a real selling point. And again, I don't think that they did it on purpose, but boy, oh boy, did they really lay out the marketing Hmm. before we got in that pavilion and were asked to give our lives to Christ. They really laid the marketing out well. But whenever I showed the first sign of having what was considered an unpopular opinion, the acceptance was taken away, and it was taken away swiftly, violently, and conspicuously. There was malice to the way that these people treated us. Mm -hmm. 
treated me and treated a lot of other people that I that I was able to observe. We got a real big heaping helping of it at Mission Impossible, didn't oh, yeah. we? Uh-huh. And I did have some very unpopular opinions that clashed with their microculture. So the way that they responded to that may have been an extreme example yeah. or a semi-extreme example, but it definitely didn't surprise me. It was always in the back of my mind, just seeing some of the tension that was building. It was always in the back of my mind that this is going to explode sooner or later. Yeah. But I felt that it was more it was more important for me to stand my ground because I knew I was right. If I wasn't sure I was right, then I would have been a little bit more open to listening to what some of these people had to say. But excluding people because they don't think and act and behave the way you want them to in the, in the middle of your little country club, that's mm. not a reason to shun them or to treat them like they're second class. And I wanted that messaging to be clear. I wanted the messaging to be clear that I viewed my role in here as more of a hospital director and not the um, activities coordinator at a resort. Right. Okay. For me, it was a matter of these people were coming in off the street and it's not those who are well who need a physician. It's the sick. So can we please just treat them and treat them well? But that wasn't going to happen there, was it? No. So unpopular opinions get dealt with violently and aggressively. I mean, there was there was nothing subtle or gentle about the way that I was treated that day. No. Absolutely nothing. So when you do not toe the line, and especially in an environment that has that kind of an established microculture, look out. Yeah. Look the fuck out because they're coming for you. And it's obvious. And you can see the signs. Sometimes it starts with one person. But one person with a loud enough voice and one person who's willing to play squeaky wheel long enough yeah. can completely... And it, it can make the experience of you being in that church absolutely unbearable. Mm. And that's whether or not you're in the pew or behind the pulpit. They can make being there absolutely unbearable. Now, the crazy part about this is that I always found myself being judged by people who weren't doing any better than I was in terms of towing that line. I was also the one, now, let's be fair. I was also the one doing the judging more often than not. Most of the time, it came down to one central issue, and that issue is jealousy. Christians get very jealous when they see other Christians doing things that are questionable in terms of faith and agreed upon morality. If I can't have it, neither should you. It goes right back to what I was saying a minute ago. And just to make the point clear of how irrelevant the concept of conformity really is in evangelical religion, again, from Christianity Today. Graham Seister, I assume that's how it's pronounced. It's Seister or Sister. This is the, the writer of the article talking. Graham Seister, a Christian whom I know from South Africa, recently told me a painful story about a personal experience two decades ago when he was struggling against apartheid as a young South African evangelical. One night, he was smuggled into an underground communist cell of young people fighting apartheid. Tell us about the gospel of Jesus Christ, they asked, half hoping for an alternative to the violent communist strategy that they were embracing. Graham gave a clear, powerful presentation of the gospel, showing how personal faith in Christ wonderfully transforms persons 
and creates one new body of believers where there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, rich nor poor, black nor white. The youth were fascinated. One 17-year-old exclaimed, that's wonderful. Show me where I can see that happening. Graham's face fell as he sadly responded that he could not think of anywhere South African Christians were truly living out the message of the gospel. Then the whole thing is a piece of shit, the youth angrily retorted. The bottom line is that this religion isn't real enough to most Christians to follow it day to day or to even want to keep its tenets in front of other people. Most people get in and they stay in for a short list of reasons. It has to do with social connectedness and peer acceptance, being perceived as moral, and being entertained, just like we said a minute ago. Most people show up at church on Sunday, Bible in hand, putting up the smoke screen and letting their friends see them raising their hands and speaking in tongues, and then go right back to living their largely secular lives throughout the rest of the week. Whiteheart had a song about this called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Christian. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Christian, it's a mask you wear to hide. Got a notion, God's a potion, and it works most every time. And there's more to it. But um, I'm not going to spend the entire episode quoting song lyrics, but I am going to transition into talking about the Christian music that I listened to back then and the influence that it had. The key message in that Whiteheart song and in this entire concept, um, this illusion of conformity is that walking the walk is necessary, even though nobody does. But hey, that's what grace is for, right? Uh, no, it isn't because God is not your alibi. Another line from the song. So let's talk for a second about how the music I listened to solidified some of these concepts. There were all kinds of songs that dealt with the issue of conformity and why towing the line and doing things in a way that's comfortable for the people around you is important. The first one on my list is Not Gonna Bow by Russ Taft. This is a song about shunning anything that Christians say is bad and sticking to your evangelical cloister. The messaging in this song works on both sides of the table, though, particularly with the messaging in verse two. All Bobby wanted was just to fit in. To be accepted, he must act like them. He said no. And that works on both sides of this equation because as a Christian trying to get out of this, it's time to start saying no to doing things the way everyone else does simply because that's how they're doing them. Right. What do you think? Because what you think matters, okay? Keep that in mind. What you think matters and you are not necessarily wrong just because it disagrees with them. So a little bit of accidental messaging in there <laughs> that I look at from a much different perspective as an atheist, much different perspective. The next song that I thought of was the song Lead Me to Reason by A.D. This enigmatically titled song about being trauma bonded to your religion and choosing faith over reason is just another example of the type of crosstalk that exists in all evangelical messaging. But I'll tell you, the Christian rock music of the 80s was really, really good at this. They were really good at it. I love how this song frames free thought in the context of delusion. The second verse of the song says, My head is reeling in the wake of delusion. Left to myself, I'm so quickly undone. Wayward I wander again and again, still haunted by sin. Who will deliver the unreconciled, the prodigal child? 
So if you disagree and you have moments of humanness, then you're a prodigal mm. and you need to come back and you need to repent of all of this bad stuff that you're doing, not even doing necessarily, just thinking. This song is more about thought than it is about action. I can't begin to account for my condition, questions with answers I just can't explain. Utterly helpless and nothing to do. I'm lost without you. Doesn't that sound like someone who is trauma bonded? Oh, yeah. It sure does to me. And this kind of imagery is throughout the old is throughout the New Testament, too. There are a plethora of verses that deal with the concept of dying to yourself. All throughout the New Testament, this is something that we're taught that we're supposed to aspire to. And it goes right back to our signature verse about decreasing so he can increase. Only your face will lead me to reason. Just one embrace to carry me through. Oh, dude, you are trauma bonded to your savior and you need to get out. Sorry. That is all I'm seeing there. I have decided by Amy mm -hmm. Grant, standing firm on Christian beliefs and shunning any secular opinion about anything. Yeah. That's what that song is about. Can't Stand Too Tall by Rick Kua. It's about strength in numbers, accountability. You're safe in your Christian cloister, but if you succumb to the temptations of this world, you'll fail as a person. And the imagery in the song is drowning. Yeah. We won't fall because we'll keep our heads above the water. Mm -hmm. Oh, now we get now we get to the one that really pisses me off. For whatever reason, for whatever reason, this song started running through my head this week. And I started thinking about some of the words. And I'm going to give just a snippet of It Don't Matter by Krumbacher. You want to talk about absolutely toxic thinking. Absolutely toxic thinking. Listen to this. This is one of the verses to the song. Every day they're looking for answers, something new to add to their list. Because if it can't be explained through logic, then it simply just doesn't exist. He's being sarcastic, but he doesn't realize that he's right. I think I'll just stay unenlightened and carry on my own way. Besides, I'd rather put my faith in God than in the human mind any day. Well, Steve, sorry, you have a brain in your head for a reason. And not just Stephen Krumbacher, everybody. You have a brain in your head for a reason. And that reason is that it's meant to be used. It's meant to work for you, not against you. It's not meant to be rented out to anyone or anything. But that's what this song is advocating. And there's so much of that in this song that I don't think that there is a song from the 80s that better encapsulates everything that's wrong with evangelical thought than this particular song. And for whatever reason, it started running through my head this week. It's like, can you shut up? And it's like, no, fuck you. I'm going to use it in the show. <laughs> if you won't get out of my head, then I'm using you in my show. And so there we are. So in my notes, I wrote, this is one of the most toxic songs ever. It flatly shuns things like science, logic, and free thought, even to the point of saying, I think I'll just stay unenlightened. Yeah. Well, bless your heart. <laughs> you just go ahead and stay unenlightened. The rest of us will use the brains that we have for their intended purpose. Thanks, Steve. Um, the song Barrier by Greg X. Vols. His first, um, his first solo project was an album called The River is Rising, and this is the first song on there. And... It's all about judging someone for looking beyond their faith and not thinking the way that you think anymore. Mm. And there's a couple of others on this list that are like that, but let's talk about Minefield by Petra. 
song about the dangers of backsliding. Yeah. Think the grass is greener? You better look around. Everywhere you look, another casualty is found. The enemy is waiting for you to start to run, waiting like an itchy finger on a loaded gun. And some may feel like they can wander out too far. They may heal, but they'll always wear a scar. Oh, come on. Come <laughs> on. What are they trying to do? They're trying to scare you out of thinking for yourself and looking outside your faith about anything. Right. And if you do that, you're a backslider and you're bound to blow yourself up in the process. Mm. And you could blow yourself up just trying to get back. That's the messaging here. The next one on my list, I can remember back in the day thinking this song was one of the creepiest fucking things I'd ever heard. And it was then and it is now. It's a song <laughs> called Jenny, again by Steve Taylor. And the key message in this song is that living life on your terms and exploring your sexuality will literally kill you. Let's look at just a little bit of this song. Um, the song is about a girl who she's raised evangelical at her mother's knee. And she goes to a carnival and she falls for this carny. <laughs> so I don't know why Steve decided to put these two people in this scenario. But this is the way that the song kind of pans out. So she likes him. And she starts feeling conflicted about her own feelings and then about her own actions because eventually she sleeps with him. And here is what happens when you take a little moral tumble and decide to explore sexually just a little bit and get your heart broken. This is what's going to happen to you. When they finally found her body on a cold dog day, it was in a cattle car buried in the hay. A note in the pocket of her calico dress said, I'm guilty of sin, but I can't confess. Once you know the truth, you can hide it on a shelf, but unless you bring it down, you can't live with yourself. In her right hand, Jenny held the Bible of her mother. Jenny had a pistol in the other. So, oh, yeah, I so, so leaving your evangelical faith behind or just stepping one toe out to experience something worldly can lead to you being so lost and depressed that you put a bullet in your head. And I'm sorry, I bring up his lyrics a lot and there's a lot about what he had to say that I still actually like, well, yeah. but Jesus fucking Christ, Steve, really, <laughs> really yeah. have sex with a carny and you're going to kill yourself. Is I mean, yeah. There are a couple of songs that he has like that, that are just like, dude, you are oh so off the mark. Oh and yeah. Even back then it was just sort of like, okay, this is kind of weird. But what are some of the main tools in these people's arsenal? Emotionalism and sensationalism. Right. So those are some very sensationalistic thoughts. Yeah. And they're very drastic. Yeah. Very overdone kinds of thoughts. Because no, most people aren't going to go off and kill themselves, even born-again Christians, because guess what? A lot of born-again Christians are out there having a lot of premarital and extramarital sex. Yeah. And they're not all killing themselves. No. Nope. But this was supposed to be a warning that if you slip in your conformity to this religion, if you step one toe out of line and try and experience something worldly, then you're going to be in deep doo-doo, up to and including taking your own life because you won't be able to live with yourself anymore. He had a couple of other songs that were extreme like that, like Sin yeah. for a Season yeah. was like that too. Lots of extremes mm -hmm. in the scenarios that he put together in that song. So this was something that he was actually good at the whole scaring people into staying grounded in their faith, yeah. whether they liked it or not. Yeah. That was a lot of his agenda. These last two 
are songs that really heap on the guilt and judgmentalism toward people who lose their faith. First one is a song called I Missed the Way by Michael W. Smith. I missed the way his light would dance within your eyes. I missed the way his heart was the soul of your life. And somewhere in the saddest part of heaven's room, a father sheds a tear for you. He's missing you too. (laughs) Yahweh doesn't have the capacity to miss anybody. He's too self-absorbed and narcissistic to miss you. Okay? Mm -hmm. Just putting that out there. The other one is Heart of the Matter by Debbie Boone. How do spiritual eyes go blind? How does deception infiltrate the mind? I know it's hard to comprehend, but the choice is still yours, my friend. Oh, boy. And just the sheer... I'm, I'm getting getting the chills yeah. just thinking about these lyrics, but more that I took them so seriously Oh yeah. back in the day. And that's what songs like these are meant to do. And music, as we have already covered on this show is an incredibly powerful medium. So if you're not going to hear it when your youth pastor says it from the pulpit, oh, you'll hear it when Michael W. Smith says it. You'll hear it when Petra says it. You'll hear it when Amy Grant says it. And they rely heavily on the messaging and music to keep those thoughts in there. 25 years out, I only had to look up a couple of those lyrics. I quoted most of that off the cuff. It's still in there. Mm-hmm. It's still in there. I mean, I look at it from a different perspective now, but it's still in there. Yeah, That's how powerful it is. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, the same Steve Taylor who decried collective consciousness mentality in I Want to Be a Clone, because that whole song, it's supposed to speak out against the kind of conformity that right. you're supposed to adhere to. So more crosstalk. It also decries free thought in his repeated criticism of having an open mind. You've got uh, songs like Bad Rap, Who You Trying to Kid Kid, and What You Gonna Do When Your Number's Up, that both suggest strongly that being open-minded or a free thinker is a bad thing. In Bad Rap, we're told to drop six words in our open minds. And in What You Gonna Do When Your Number's Up, we have a line that says, buried in your psyche is the shadow of a doubt. You're so open-minded that your brain's leaked out. So what's the messaging there? Yeah, keep your mind on your religion. Keep your mind on what you're being taught in church. Because the moment you open yourself up to thinking about things differently, then it's all over for you. Mm. It's all over. And, you know, it's actually, it's a warning in the song, but it's kind of a positive truth when you think about it. Because when you open up your mind and you understand that there are other points of view out there and that not everyone that you meet is going to think that you're immoral because of the things that you think and the things that you do, that does not bode well for your church. It doesn't bode well for the people that want to keep you ensnared in this. Yeah. Because once you start thinking for yourself and stop letting these other people do your thinking for you, that to them is a really, really bad place for you to be because they start to lose their grip on you. Yeah. They start to lose control over you. And that is a very, very bad thing as far as they're concerned. If you have an open mind, you develop your own opinions of things. And in evangelical terms, that is not good. I want to leave you with a few takeaways here from this message tonight. For starters, having a mind of your own is a good thing. It's a necessary thing. You need to be comfortable with the idea of thinking for yourself. And you need to be less concerned about what other people think 
than you are about what you know to be right. There are certain moral absolutes out there. It is definitively wrong to kill someone. It is definitively wrong to do anything that brings harm to someone else directly or indirectly. And society has made these decisions for us by writing laws that keep us from doing certain things like killing someone or raping them. So there are certain instances where someone else is going to do your thinking for you, but you already know these things are wrong. Anyone, any decent thinking, sane human being understands that these absolutes are absolutely wrong. Next, I want you to remember that liking things that your religion says you shouldn't is inevitable because you have a mind of your own. You have your own tastes. You have those things that turn you on on various levels. And some of these things may not fall in lockstep with what your church thinks is right for you. Well, that's okay. They don't have to think it. They just need to prove why it's not. And they can't. Next, failing to live by godly standards is impossible. Hence, having you being constantly encouraged to rededicate your life and still see yourself as a worthless sinner who constantly needs to reaffirm before yourself and everyone else that you still believe. So with all that in mind, how do you reclaim your identity? Well, you start by telling yourself it's okay to have your own thoughts, opinions, likes, and dislikes. That is very important. You recognize that whether you stay in or get out, Your sense of self is always going to vie for purchase, and there's a reason for this. You can stay in evangelical religion your entire life, and there will always be that inner conflict. Always. Because, as I've said before, that rational mind is in there, and it wants out. It wants the floor, and it's time to think about giving it to it. Next, we are individuals by nature. Even though we are largely alike, there are plenty of people who think and act the way you do. But... You'll never find them all in one place, especially if you're looking to a faith community to find that commonality. The diversity will always come to the surface and you'll see it and it'll make you uncomfortable. And when it comes to the surface in you, it's going to make other people uncomfortable. And it always happens. This is where you start getting things like the prayer groups, where you start talking about someone and you start gossip praying about them. Mm -hmm. This is your, this is that person's brain purging the uncomfortableness of who you are in their head. And that's how it manifests because it seems like a safe space to vent. They're not really praying, they're venting and they're doing it in a manner that makes them look pious. Next, assess what you've been taught to be sin and see if it makes any sense. In the grand scheme of things, most of the sins you've been avoiding are victimless crimes in terms of what sin actually is. And the very concept of sin is too subjective to whittle down to definitions that apply to specific thoughts, actions, or behaviors. Someone else decided that it was a sin. You don't have to listen to them. What do you think? What do you think? Your thoughts and opinions matter. Next, if the things you want to experience don't bring harm to yourself or others, they can't possibly be as bad as you've been led to think. They don't necessarily need to be profitable or good or good for you, but they're not necessarily sinful either. They're just not right in terms of who you are, how you live, how healthy you want to be, because we can talk about things like overeating and smoking cigarettes and doing these things that we do that damage our body 
in the same context. But I'm now a lot of Christians will tell you that smoking cigarettes is a sin, but I know plenty that go back for seconds on the uh, on the dessert bar. Oh yeah, at the fellowship gatherings. Okay, mm-hmm. so one person damages their body one way, and another person damages their body in another way. It's just that one way is a little bit more socially acceptable than the other. Next, some decisions are bad for other reasons. Abusing your body with drugs that can harm you is a bad idea. Using other people sexually is a bad idea. Being dishonest as a point of character definition is a bad idea. These things can harm you and they can harm others. Assess wisely whether or not they belong in your life based on what you understand about right and wrong. Not what you're told, what you know, because you know. Next, purpose to live your life in a way that when you're lying on your deathbed, you can tell yourself with confidence was how you tried to be the best you possible. If you miss the mark once in a while, that's okay. And by the way, that's the definition of sin, is missing the mark. What did you learn from the experience? If you did damage, did you address it? Did you make changes to your lifestyle based on your own personal assessment of things and the desire to just be a good person? Have you made amends with people you've harmed? The more yes answers you can give here, and the more you consciously strove to learn more about yourself as you lived your life, the more confident you can be that you've done things right. Next, let other people have their opinions. But remember, that's precisely what they are. Their opinions. Yours matters every bit as much and even more. Why? Because at the end of the day, none of your accusers have to live with the choices you make. You do. So do things in a manner that makes living with yourself easy. Next, learn to love yourself. There is no God out there waiting to shower you with love for doing things his way. Even if you succeeded in that, he won't acknowledge it, not just because he's fiction, but because it wouldn't jive with his nature even if he was real. Do things your way and in a way that feels right to you and are confirmed right by the lack of negative consequences they create in your life. Lastly, engage in self-assessment, not self-criticism. Until you're dead, until you're dead, you have the time to make the changes needed to feel more centered and able to love yourself. To quote Jimmy Page, in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. And as a final thought, all of these things together will help shape the person that you are and ensure that the shape of things in your life is one with which you can be satisfied. Don't try to live in ways that please other people because people will always judge you. No matter how hard you try to win their approval, they'll always judge you. It's time for you to assume the role of the judge and to be honest with yourself about who you are. Because once you know who you are, once you have a sense of identity that isn't tethered to other people's notions of who you should be, it's at that point where you will find yourself feeling, acting, living, and being truly and permanently unbound. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get hyphen unbound. 
www.ghostbusters.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.